Hello, my Rebels. What a great show today. An interview with our friend Andrew Lawton about the possible curfew in Ontario and the for sure curfew in Quebec. Do you think there's going to be a curfew where you are? We'll talk a bit about it. And before that, I give you sort of our battle plan for the year 2021. It's going to be harder than last year. Sorry, it just is. Hey, before I get to that, let me invite you to become a Rebel News Plus subscriber. It's the video version of this show. It's just eight bucks a month. Go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. It's actually only 80 if you get the whole year, by the way, which is a discount. So it's much less than, you know, Crave or Netflix or Prime or any of those things. And it's the only place you're going to hear our side of the story. So please consider doing that for your own sake, because I think it's great TV, but also for our sake, because we rely completely on our viewers. We don't take any money from Trudeau, which makes us rare. Okay, here's today's show. Tonight, after the week's events, where do we go? It's January 8th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. If you put aside the trivia and minutiae, Donald Trump was one of the great presidents. Don't talk to me about his rough style or his insults. That's what leftist media do or low information voters who just want to be safe so they repeat the one message track they know. Oh, did you hear him five years ago say the word pussy? I mean, get serious. Do you know how crude Lyndon Johnson was in both word and deed? Oh my God, you should Google it. Have you forgotten what Bill Clinton did in the Oval Office? Don't Google it. Do you think that Teddy Roosevelt was the kind of guy who drank from teacups with his pinky in the air? Get serious for a moment. The largest economic renaissance since Ronald Reagan, by some measures even better than Reagan did, reinvigorating the military both with money and respect and pressuring NATO allies around the world to do their share too, including us. Are you happy with Canadian defense spending as it is right now? Well, they're moving up and they're moving up substantially and they're starting to do very well economically and that has something to do with it. And yeah, they're getting up uh, to a level that's getting to be very acceptable. They have been under the 2%, obviously, uh, but they're moving up, we discuss it. Member countries and allied countries in the past delinquent for not meeting the two percent standard. Where would you put Canada in that as they're slightly not delinquent, delinquent? I should say Canada, but they'll be okay. I have confidence. Just slightly delinquent. Yeah, no, some are major delinquent. Some are some are way below one percent, and that's unacceptable. And then if something happens, we're supposed to protect them, and it's not really fair. And it never has been fair. Mr. President, uh, Canada does not meet the 2% standard. Should it have a plan to meet the 2% standard? Well, we'll put them on a payment plan, you know? We'll put Canada on a payment plan, right? I'm sure the Prime Minister would love that. What are you at? What, what is your number? Uh, the number we talk about is 70% increase uh, over these past years, uh, including and for the coming years, uh, including uh, re significant investments in our 
fighter jets, significant investments in our naval fleets. Uh, we are increasing significantly our defense spending from previous governments that cut it. Okay. Where are you now uh, in terms of your number? We're at 135? 1.3. 1.4. 1.4. 1.4. And, and continuing getting, to move they're forward. They're getting there. They've, they've, they know it's important to do that. And their economy is doing well. They'll get there quickly, I think. It's, and look, it's to their benefit. Yeah, no wonder the world's leftist leaders are glad Trump is gone. Absolutely unleashing American energy. You know, when I published my book, Ethical Oil, The Case for Canada's Oil Sands, about 10 years ago now, America the, was the world's largest importer of oil. Just a staggering amount of oil, uh, much of it coming from America's enemies in OPEC. And of course, every barrel coming in from an enemy meant 50 or 100 bucks per barrel going out to that enemy. Now America is a net energy exporter. I, I can't even believe it, but it's through fracking, through drilling offshore in the Gulf and in Alaska, from coal. Just amazing. Taking on China was so key. It was China that destroyed the Rust Belt with its unfair trade practices, absorbing all the factories. Trump put hundreds of billions of dollars on tariffs on China, which drove companies out of China, some of them back to America in many cases. Who would ever thought that was possible? Apple actually started to manufacture computers in America again. Not all of them, but some. There's steel plants and auto plants that were actually opened in America. Were it not for the exaggerated virus, which slowed the economy down last year, Trump most likely would have won the election on the economy alone. And then add to that something that exceeds every other Republican president, including Ronald Reagan. The most impressive list of judges who respect the Constitution ever appointed by any president. Three great conservatives on the Supreme Court, plus countless lower court and appeal judges. Truly magnificent judges. Credit to Mitch McConnell, too, for pushing them through, but most credit to Donald Trump for nominating them and standing by them. And I haven't even mentioned foreign affairs yet. Putting China in its place, yes, but neutralizing North Korea more than any president has done. Boxing in Iran, cutting off Obama's bizarre extortion payments to Iran. And just in the past few weeks even, really, practically ending the Arab-Israeli crisis. There are now formal and warm peace deals between Israel and Bahrain, and Israel and the United Arab Emirates, and Israel and Sudan, and Israel and Morocco. So many peace deals were won would have been incredible. And it's peace for peace, not peace for land or peace for some temporary payoff. And speaking of Muslim countries, no more wars. Trump didn't start any new wars. He just didn't. He brought troops home, which the military deep state did not like one bit, and they tried to thwart him. And despite the media party lies about him being a Russian stooge, he just wasn't. He actually brought in tougher sanctions on Russia, and kept Russia contained. It didn't invade other countries like it did under Obama and George W. Bush. A most consequential president, a hugely successful president, who cares what the media says? A president with coattails too, by the way. He brought congressmen with him in 2016 and 2020. It was when he wasn't on the ballot in 2018, and just a few days ago in Georgia, the Republicans had setbacks. The reason they hate him the most, of course, he said he wasn't part of the establishment. He was when he was just a celebrity billionaire real estate developer. Then they all loved him, especially Hollywood. 
But when he wanted to displace the Washington permanent ruling class, the deep state, oh, they hated him, they undermined him, they trapped him, they smeared him, they undid him. It, it truly is a miracle he accomplished so much as an outsider. There is a rage and a vengeance in the Democrat Congress now. Trump will be gone in 12 days, and yet they're seething with calls to impeach him. Just once more, for old times' sake, to literally kick him in the tush as he leaves. That's vengeance. It's petty. And it's not about healing or building or reaching out to the 75, 80 million people who voted for Trump. And again, it is a sign of what they'll do to you and me in a second if they could now, we're Canadians, of course, we have American viewers, but we're based in Canada. We don't actually have any American staff these days, even though we use American platforms like YouTube for our company. We cared about America, and Trump's battles benefited us as side effects. His battle against the UN and its global warming craziness, his hard line against carbon taxes, his true battle against terrorists, he, he ended ISIS. He's not an accommodationist with them like Trudeau was. All that benefited us, too. Now that's gone, I... Don't know how badly the Democrats down there can hurt us directly, except through social media censorship like YouTube. But now Canada will get much worse and will sync up with the worst instincts in the American left. I note as just one example that Ilhan Omar, the anti-Semitic ingrate, the congresswoman from Minnesota, she is buddies with our own Ahmed Hassan. Imagine the two of them working together even more than they are now. You know, Donald Trump did not visit Canada once as president, except for those occasions where there was some multilateral conference in Canada, like a G7 meeting that he had to come to and that he left right afterwards. As in, he never came up here on his own just to meet Trudeau one-on-one, -on -one just to come to our country. What a shame, eh? Imagine if we had actually worked with him on joint projects for our benefit, for our mutual benefit, especially in energy and infrastructure and military matters. How many lost opportunities? Now Trudeau probably will work with Biden and Harris on things that undo us. Censorship, carbon taxes, things like that. But let me tell you what's on my mind. Besides keeping our freedom of speech and freedom of the press, we will obviously cover American politics as we always do. We cover world affairs and the UK and Australia too. We might even wind up hiring a reporter in America, though it's a large place, probably too large for one person to do it justice. Maybe we'll hire someone or even team up in some way with some existing media outlet down there in some sort of a partnership, because there are more and more alternative news sources down there as the mainstream media lurches to the censorious left. But mainly, I think my message to you today as both a commentator and as the president of Rebel News, the Rebel Commander, is that we have an enormous amount of work to do here. We have to talk about Canadian news and the Canadian crisis, especially the pandemic, and what it has allowed politicians and bureaucrats to get away with. The lack of democracy, first of all, they wanted to shut down Parliament altogether. They half-have. The permanent state of emergency. That's legally the state we're in. The new taxes and spending and borrowing, of course, but much more importantly, the diminution of our freedoms. For heaven's sakes, they're bringing in curfews in Quebec, like the War Measures Act. But the War Measures Act was in reaction to an actual bombing spree, the FLEQ terrorist group. Now it's just because some public health nurse says so. And the politicians all agree. They all agree. Show me a single opposition party, liberal or conservative, that is against the lockdown. Show me one. I don't mean individuals like Randy Hillier, the independent MPP in Ontario. And I think I just listed them all, haven't I? I mean anyone with the office of op official opposition. The office. 
the official critic, anyone official, is there anyone other than Pierre Polyev, who I wish ran for the leader of the Federal Conservatives, Pierre, who is an excellent finance critic and who I think we all have seen in action, can you tell me a critic who was criticized or an opposition politician who has opposed? I can't, and it's almost been a year. And there lies our mission, I think, to tell the news that is being ignored or covered up by the media party, news of the pain of the lockdown, the economic and human cost of things, stupid rules like police with guns patrolling toboggan hills, more chilling things like police breaking into houses and physically dragging out people from homes like this one in Gatineau, Quebec. that without getting angry, but I don't want to just be angry. And I don't want to be kooky or indulge in fantasy like QAnon or obscure Canadian theories. I don't know. They talk about arresting Mike Pence or arresting Justin Trudeau and how there's a secret plan and follow the plan. Like there's going to be some miracle if we follow the... That's foolishness. That's self-deception. That's a placebo. I want to tell the news as it really happens. I want to give you our honest view on that news. And I want to help in small incremental ways that we can make a difference. Like our important Fight the Fines project, where we hire lawyers to defend people against lockdown fines. And we crowdfund the cost of those lawyers. That's such a big project. We just actually today hired a full-time paralegal professional to help keep track of it all. It's such a big part of what we do now. Or our I Will Open campaign where we try to help individual companies to open back up to survive. Next week, 
we expect to file a major constitutional challenge to one of the province's lockdown rules. I hope to do more of the same. I want to do sane things, not crazy things, things you would expect civil liberties groups like the Canadian Civil Liberties Association to have done or the opposition parties to have done or maybe even other media to have done, but none of them have done them. In December, people kept saying, oh, I hope 2021 is going to be better than 2020. Of course it won't be. Trump is gone, so that dam is broken. The pandemic will be made permanent. The lockdowns will be made more vicious. And if you thought enforcement of masks was illiberal and punitive, well, get ready for the enforcement of vaccines. Get ready for vaccine passports. Get ready for the loss of your freedoms if you don't comply to Bill Gates and his globalist friends who were all kept out by Trump, but who are now right in the center of things. We're gonna be busy in Canada. We care about the world. We still report from America and the UK and Australia where we now have permanent journalists in London and Melbourne. We will do civil liberties work. We will do journalism and in our own way, we will become in a small way, the grassroots official opposition and critics Not because it's our job, but because others aren't really doing theirs. So let's get to work. Stay with us for more. Hey, can I show you a story from CTV, which is Canada's largest private broadcaster? Take a look at this. The headline itself gets me, before I even read the story, Ontario's top doctor eyes curfew to curb the spread of COVID-19 as cases surge. Ontario's top doctor, what do they mean by top doctor? Is it the smartest? I know every year the medical schools, they they have a gold medalist who got the top score. So is it the smartest doctor? Is that what they mean by top? Is it the tops in terms of, you know, an innovator, a, a remarkable surgeon who's trying new techniques and really knows? Is that what they mean by top? Maybe tops in terms of Customer service, voted by his patients as best bedside manner. Is he a doctor that really makes patients come first? I don't know. There's a lot of ways to mean top doctor, but let me show you what CTV means by top doctor. I'll read a little bit. As case numbers and deaths related to COVID-19 in Ontario climbed to new heights, the province's top doctor said that implementing a curfew to prevent transmission of the disease is on the table. That's one of the things we will consider, Dr. David Williams, Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, said Thursday. Oh, that's what they mean by the top doctor. A doctor who doesn't actually have any patients, who doesn't actually care for anyone. What they really mean is a politician with an MD, but not even a politician because no one voted for him and no one can vote him out. He's not accountable in any meaningful way. That's what they mean. I'll read one more sentence. His comments come a day after Quebec announced it would introduce similar action starting this Saturday that could force residents to stay home from 8 p.m. until 5 a.m. or risk a fine of up to $6,000. Hey, I got a question for you and a question for our next guest who's standing by. Do you really think that cheaters like Rod Phillips, the former finance minister of Ontario who sneaked away to St. Bart's, or Joe Hargrave, the highway minister in Saskatchewan who sneaked away to the States, or Tracy Allard, the cabinet minister in Alberta who sneaked away to Hawaii. Do you really believe that these people who would bring in a curfew, 
that you can't go out after 8 p.m. Do you really think they'd follow it themselves? Joining us now via Skype is our friend Andrew Lawton, the boss of the Andrew Lawton Show, which you can find at andrewlawtonshow.com. Andrew, do you really think that the fancy people, the hobnobbers, the elites, do you really think they're going to be nighty-night lights out at 8 p.m. like the rest of us are going to have to be? Yeah, I believe it's lights out, but then it's crawling behind the hedges so that a, of a glaring headlight of a police officer doesn't necessarily pick them up. It's funny you mentioned travel because I was looking at the Quebec restrictions and one of the exemptions to it is if you're headed to an airport or a train station. So if you get busted driving around the streets and you are breaking curfew and they say, where are you going? You can actually say, I'm going to St. Bart's and that actually gets you out of the uh, curfew, which I find interesting. Yeah, you know, um, I, I've been thinking a lot about these trips to warm places. And by the way, I used to love going to warm places over Christmas, too. I think a lot of Canadians did. It's a bit of a tradition. Folks in the West go to Hawaii, California, Phoenix. Folks in the East go to Florida, the Caribbean. Not everybody, but, it, you know, there were a lot of affordable deals. But you can't do it anymore unless you're part of the ruling lockdown elite. Because in addition to, say, like you were going to have a week in the Dominican Republic, let's say, Okay, but now you have to be able to afford two weeks of quarantine upon your return. So who has three weeks that they can use to take one week in the sun? You've got to have one of those fancy lockdown jobs like a politician, a bureaucrat, a teacher's union member or something like that. This is, I hate to sound like a Marxist, Andrew, but this is very uh, classist, this lockdown. Let's say you have a factory job. You can't get out of the factory or the office from nine to five, you need to pick the kids up from school, make dinner for them, and then do your shopping or whatever at 7, 8, 9 p.m. This is a regressive curfew. Put aside the fact that it's against civil liberties. There's no scientific basis for it. They just want to punish us. And, and the effect on business as well, because a lot of the small businesses that have somehow managed to survive lockdown 1.0 and are in the midst of lockdown 2.0, trying to make their best uh, go at things, they will have to shut down and restrict hours severely. Businesses will have to restrict hours if there's a curfew. Now, imagine you're a business owner who is allowed to stay open in some form and you don't have employees because you can't afford them. You've had to lay them off. So you're at your store from open to close. Where are you supposed to go? to get groceries after you're done work. Yeah. These 24-hour grocery stores that have become the lifeblood of some communities, well, you're, you, those can't exist anymore because, oh, well, if you're out after 8 p.m. in Quebec or whatever time Ontario sets, if they go down this terrible road, uh, that is going to be illegal. So the idea here that all of a sudden everyone's work schedules and work days have to be as flexible as they are for the rulers is the expectation. And there's a real point of, of privilege here. And again, I, I'm sounding like you, as we talk about these terms that people on our side of things don't usually talk about. But very few people considerably, if you look at the population, have the privilege of being able to work remotely and work from home. I'm very fortunate that I get to. I know you've got a studio, but if you really needed to, you might be able to do some of your work from home or, or remotely, at least for a time. A lot of people don't. You can't be a, a grocery store cashier. You can't run a little convenience store. You can't work in a factory. You can't do all of these jobs, which occupy the majority of the Canadian workforce remotely. So you're right, there's a big problem that these people actually don't matter to the government. Yeah. You know, I was looking at Quebec bringing in the curfew, and again and again, um, the question is, where's the science? Is this 
virus? Is it like a vampire that only comes out at night? Um, you know, the, the, the Hollywood vampire, when there's break of day, the vampire must... Like the idea that the virus suddenly is dangerous at night, um, there is no science to it. The consensus that I've been reading out of Quebec is that it's not about a scientific finding that the virus strikes at night. It's just to bring home the seriousness of it. Basically, to show people how mad the government is, we're going to punish you to get your attention. I haven't seen any medical science either in Canada or in the UK where they've had curfews or in Australia where they've had curfews that shows there is any epidemiological science behind this. And I think it's just politicians flexing muscles because they can. They're the ruling class. I do agree that this is not something with a medical basis, but I actually think it does something a little bit worse than what you're describing about just there to put the fear of God into people. And that's that it allows enforcement in a way that we don't necessarily have under the current restrictions. Because right now, you're still allowed to drive down the street because you could be going to church if you're one of the 10 people that are allowed in the building. You could be going to the grocery store. You could be doing something essential. Now police will have an opportunity to stop you and question you and force you to justify what's always been a right, which is to drive down the roads that your taxes pay for. Now law enforcement has a mechanism and a supposed justification to force you to justify your own actions as a supposedly free person. And that's the real danger of this curfew is that it's now making enforcement a lot easier by criminalizing a lot more things, benign activities. If I'm driving around in my car for an evening, people in the country grow up doing this. You just go for a drive. You're not actually near anyone. You're not within breathing distance of anyone, but this will no longer be allowed. And one of the things just from a pragmatic perspective, if you shrink the hours in the day that you're allowed to do something, you're actually uh, congesting stores more. You're congesting uh, grocery stores more because now, well, instead of having 12 opening hours that people can shop in, you have to cram those same number of customers into 10 hours or eight hours, which is just absurd. We are not actually doing anything other than theater, but it's not just about optics. There's a, a real enforcement challenge that comes about here. You know, that's very interesting. That's a very thoughtful analysis. Uh, we know a little bit about this because our friend Avi Yamini in Melbourne, Australia, we've seen video of him going through these checkpoints and he's had to furnish um, written permits to let him on the roads. They literally have check stops like you're in a war zone. We, we took a case, a civil liberties case, of a Christian pastor who was going to help a disabled person and the, the, it was soldiers, it was actually soldiers from the Australian Defense Forces on the street who said, tell us who you're going to see. And he said, this is like a religious church social work thing. I'm not going to disclose that. They refused to let this pastor help a disabled person if he didn't tell who he was visiting. That's straight out of a World War II, you know, you know where's your papers? 
Well, Quebec has that as well. Quebec has a form. If you're driving around because it's essential for your job, you actually have to have your employer complete this form that in fact verifies that you have to be out and about doing whatever it is you do, which means that you know there's going to be some bureaucrat that's going to look and say, well, actually, you could be doing that by Zoom or you could be doing that from home. And of course, if you look on the Quebec government's website, it's only available in French. So we can add a bit of discrimination in the uh, insult to injury category on this. You know, one more thing from Australia. Let me throw this at you, Andrew. Uh, I've seen drones, surveillance drones used in Melbourne and other Australian places. I wouldn't be surprised if that's deployed here too. You know, um, Andrew, uh, like you, we've been doing reporting and opinion journalism in the last 10 months, but I think that civil liberties are going to become more and more critical. I think this is, it's not about the virus anymore. I think it's about control, it's about enforcement, it's about normalizing uh, an intrusion in our life that has never been permitted in Canadian history. And what makes me especially scared is how the legacy media, the media party, as I sometimes call it, is so compliant, complicit, even supportive. We see abuses by police that would normally shock liberal journalists. They're fine with it. They're almost cheering on police enforcement. Um, I really fear that there are so few of us fighting against this overweening government. You're one of the good guys, but really we could count on one hand uh, the number of folks who are actively engaged in defending civil liberties. I'm, I'm nervous, but I think 2021 is going to be much worse than 2020, and I, I, I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I just think I'm, that's my observation and conclusion. Sadly, I, I can't disagree with you. And a lot of the official quote unquote civil liberties activists I found were very quiet in the early days of the lockdown or they were saying, well, you know, maybe it's not ideal, but and a lot of them, I think, will have to start coming around to what people in independent media have actually been beating the drum about since earlier on in the pandemic. Now that the curfew is being discussed, which is okay, well, this is a bridge too far. But unfortunately, they've already sort of justified that idea that it's governments and public health officials that get to make these decisions. And just one point, if I may, Ezra, and I hope I'm not taking too much of your, your and your viewers' time here, is that doctors and public health officials are important. They have a role to play in the system, but they have a singular focus. It's the responsibility of politicians and other stakeholders like courts, like voters and citizens to say that, well, hang on, there are other considerations here like civil liberties. For example, if you say to a doctor, I need to reduce obesity and that's their only metric, they could say, all right, well, we'll ban sugar, we'll ban fat, we'll ban this. They don't care about all of the economic considerations, the freedom considerations. You've given them one focus and they'll do that. The same is true in this pandemic. Sure, we may be able to just put a padlock on everyone's front door for two weeks and we are all going to get down to zero cases except the reality is that's not feasible for all of these other reasons that they don't care about because yeah. it's not their job to so the idea of complete deference we're seeing the consequences of it when doctors are telling us that we'll be locked in our homes figuratively but almost literally after 8 p.m yeah you're right ontario's top doctor well he's not my doctor if i go to a doctor he first of all he cares about me and he thinks about me as an entire person and second of all, I can take it or leave it when he gives me advice. I can even get a second opinion. Don't tell me this guy's Ontario's top doctor. I never met him. I, um, and as far as I know, he hasn't had a, uh, a patient in, in a decade. You know, Andrew, I want to tell you, you're, you're getting my noggin jogging. And I'm thinking, I, I want to study what the, the law is in Quebec. 
And, and let me just tell you and really tell our viewers two things that are popping into my mind. The first is we know that there's going to be cheaters galore. And I swear on the altar of God that we will make it a high journalistic priority to catch the lockdown enforcers being lockdown cheaters. Because I know that the fancy people will never stay home after 8 p.m. But there's one more thing, and I, I'm just thinking out loud here, and I should probably think it to myself until I'm ready to roll. But if there are exemptions to be handed out for certain industries, and I think journalism is typically one of them, then I'm going to inquire with our lawyers if there's some way we, where we can literally deputize hundreds or even thousands of people in Ontario or whatever other provinces there are curfews to be official rebel news citizen journalists. We'd pay them a dollar and they would use their cell phone and their journalistic mission is catch politicians or catch cops and they would drive the streets. Maybe they'd pick up groceries along the way. I want to hunt the politicians and I want to give thousands of permits to citizen journalists. I want to actively and using the law fight this curfew. I'm just brainstorming with you, Andrew. Don't mind me. I like it. And, and you know, if I didn't have my own uh, job doing my show, I might actually ask you for one of those permits. <laughs> it's a shame that you need a permit beyond God-given freedoms, but this is the era we're living in now in 2021. Listen, my friend, it's always great to see you. You're one of the good guys. We love talking with you. We love cheering you on. We love True North TNC.news. Give me just one minute on what are you working on? What stories are you about to publish? Is there something you're doing that you want to bring to our viewers' attention? Yeah, I'm nervous about giving too, too much away, but just to give you a little bit of a taste, I, I'm actually working on a story about a government surveillance of citizens, which I think will sadly dovetail on this discussion quite well. All right, well, we'll certainly keep an eye at that, and that's tnc.news, that's the whole website, and you're andrewlawtonshow.com, right? Absolutely. Okay, well, we'll put those links on the website. Andrew, I wish you so much strength and courage this year, and to all your colleagues at TNC, I think this is the first time we've said hi in 2021, we need guys and gals like there are over at your shop because there, there are too few of us. So we give you much uh, moral support. And even I think, uh, I think I'm think i a monthly subscriber or something. I'll have to check to make sure I'm chipping in. To well, and I am of you. And well, I, I know nice. people see us as the competition, but oh, there are too no. few of us to have that mentality. You know what? There, we, it wouldn't even feel crowded competition-wise until there were 100 uh, <laughs> folks like us because there's so much work to do. Good luck, my friend. Thank you. You too. All right. There you have it. Andrew Lawton of andrewlawtonshow.com. I got to check to make sure I'm a monthly giver. I got a nice Christmas ornament from True North. So I know I gave something last year, but I got to go and check to make sure I'm giving enough. Because I tell you, imagine, God forbid, if there was no True North, if there was no Spencer Fernando, if there was no Rebel News. I hate to even contemplate it. So I want to support that guy. All right. Stay with us more ahead. Hey, welcome back on my show last night. Corey writes, oh, and the solution to Facebook et al. is easy. Delete. Well, um, I suppose that gets you out of Facebook, but uh, how is that a solution? If they censor you and you don't want to be censored, how is censoring yourself a, a solution? There's 2 billion users in Facebook. It's the number one 
referral of traffic to our website. Simply getting out of Facebook is not a solution. Wanda writes, thanks for exposing the Conservative Party of Canada with a statement released by MP Michael Chong, foreign affairs critic like you, Ezra. I'm not impressed with his letter. It doesn't speak for me as a CPC member. Well, not just that. What did it achieve? I see today Adam Vaughan, who's a Toronto liberal, I think he's a junior cabinet minister or something, went on a big tear about connecting the Conservative Party of Canada with Donald Trump, showing a picture of Candace Bergen, the deputy leader of the Conservatives, wearing a Make America Great Again hat, showing Jason Kenney with Senator uh, Cruz, Ted Cruz of Texas. And so just because Michael Chong says, I hate Donald Trump more than you do, that's not going to stop people from associating you with them. Um, You can't make your enemies into friends by making... And uh, by turning your friends into enemies. Uh, I don't expect that Michael Chong, who really is a liberal, would have anything nice to say about Donald Trump. That's not really his job. Donald Trump is gone in 12 days. But seriously, trying to suck up to the media left is not going to motivate your base, and it's not going to placate your enemies. Why are you doing it? Doug writes, old Joe Biden and his Democrats in the U.S., are as crooked and corrupt as Trudeau and his liberals are here in Canada. Well, I'm going to say they're worse because they think bigger. If reports last year were correct, the Biden family, including Joe Biden's brother and his son, have received more than a billion dollars from China. That's more even than Justin Trudeau would think of grifting. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.